You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. Welcome to lecture number 10. In our last talk, we spoke about relations. I tried to explain to you what a relation is on the basis of a subject and a term and the foundation of the relationship as a way of explaining what the three persons are in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to say a little bit more about that in this talk and also explain a little bit about the divine mystery that God is an absolute mystery. We can know a little bit about it, knowing this business about the processions and the relations and the persons and so forth means that we know a little bit about God, but it in no way exhausts the knowledge of God and the mystery of the Divine Trinity. Most of the prayers in the liturgy of the church, you think of the prayers at Mass and the various sacraments and so forth, are offered to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. That's the way most of the prayers conclude. As we have seen in previous talks, there's only one God, but in God there are three distinct divine persons. That's what the Trinity is all about. Trinity means three in one. These remarkable truths about God were revealed to the apostles by Jesus and eventually were written down in the collection of 27 books that we call the New Testament. And as I've said in some of the other talks previously, the notion that there are three persons in God is not something that philosophers ever arrived at. Philosophy knows nothing about that. Philosophy can know something about the perfections of God, that he's infinitely perfect, that he's simple, he's unmoved mover, he's the uncaused cause, things like that that you can discern about God, that there's personality in God, that there's intellect and will in God. We can know that by natural reason. But that there are three persons in one God, philosophy never arrived at that, and philosophy could never arrive at that. That's revelation that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, because of modern psychology, we tend to think of person as a center of consciousness. Because every person we know is a center of consciousness. The two go together, person and consciousness. Thinking and willing. So, that's true, but it does not exhaust the reality of what is meant in theology by the divine persons. And I mentioned before that the very notion of person comes from Trinitarian theology. There was no awareness among the Greeks or philosophers before the 4th, 5th century that there is such a thing, distinction in an individual between a person and a substance. This is a result of theological speculation based upon the revelation that we find in the New Testament. Now, in the last talk, we considered the difficult truth that the personal names in the Trinity are relative. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Quoted one of the fathers said, everybody knows that the names in the Trinity are relative. So when we say God, 
we are referring to the divine essence or nature or substance, which is common to all three persons. That's why we can say the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. When we talk about God, we're talking about the divine substance, the divine nature. But when we say God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit, we are referring to a relationship in the divinity which is personal. The same idea holds for all three persons, for the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, according to the famous definition of the 6th century philosopher called Boethius, he defined person as the individual incommunicable substance of a rational nature. It's an individual substance, it's incommunicable, and it's an irrational nature. So that rules out all animals and plants. That definition applies to God, to angels, and to men, but not to horses and cows and pigs and birds and things like that because they are not of a rational nature. They're irrational animals, brute animals. It is an individual substance that exists completely in itself. That's what we mean by a person, an individual substance that exists completely in itself. Person and nature are related to each other in such a way that the person is the possessor of the nature and the ultimate subject of all being and activity while the nature is that through which the person is and acts. So we make a distinction between person and nature. The person is the one that possesses the nature, but he acts through the nature. The nature is the principle of activity. So if you reflect on yourself just for a few moments, you'll see what I mean. When you say, I think, or you say, my hand, or you talk about my ideas, or my feelings, to what reality do those words I and my refer? They refer to the owner or possessor of all your activities, namely to you and to your person. I say my hand, my head, my body, and then you get more intimate, you say my ideas, my desires. There's a distinction there between the my, the possessor, and what is possessed the human nature or the hand or the idea or whatever it may be. Now through such a reflection we can come to see that there is a distinction between what we mean by person and what we mean by nature. Those are two different concepts, person and nature. This distinction is now common, but it was discovered by the early fathers of the church who tried to get a better understanding of the Blessed Trinity when our Lord revealed that there's three in God. And the Father said, three what? What do we call the three? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What kind of terminology? Can we call them substances? No, we can't call them that. If we called them three substances, we'd have three gods. So they had to come up with something. They came up with the notion of person. They are three persons in one God. And so they distinguish the person from the nature, as we do now with regard to human beings. But that idea of distinguishing the person from the nature comes from Trinitarian theology, especially the great thinkers of the fourth century. And as I pointed out previously, in God there are two processions, thinking and loving, which give rise 
to the three mutually opposed relations of fatherhood, sonship, and passive spiration. Passive spiration means the Holy Spirit. And these relations are the three divine persons. So the three divine persons are those three relations. You see the crucial importance of the two processions in God, because everything else kind of is tied in with that. The fact that we have three persons, that we distinguish between them, and that their relationship to one another and the relationship to the divine essence is all connected with the notion of the two processions of thinking and loving in God. The fatherhood constitutes the person of the father. Paternity, that's what constitutes the person of the father. The sonship constitutes the person of the son, or filiation, the one who is generated by his father. And this notion of passive spiration constitutes the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's breathed forth by the Father and the Son. Remember we told you the scholastics made up this word called spiration. But in God, everything is one where there is no distinction by relative opposition, as we saw from the Council of Florence. Consequently, even though in God there are three persons, there's only one consciousness, there's one thinking, and one willing in God. By the way, this is in contrast to Christology. When you study Christ, the word become man, in Christ you have two intellects and two wills. You have the divine intellect and the human intellect, the divine will and the human will. As Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He makes a distinction there between his human will and the divine will. But in God, since everything is one, there's only one consciousness, one thinking, and one willing. The three persons then share equally in the internal divine activity because they are all identified with the divine essence. Everything is one in God. He said God's absolutely simple. For if each divine person possessed his own distinct and different consciousness, there would be three gods, not the one God of Christian revelation. So you will see that in this regard, there is an immense difference between a divine person and a human person, because each human person has his own nature and his own consciousness. That's not the case in the divinity. In the divinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have the same nature, the same consciousness, the same thinking, and the same willing. That's an indication of the intimate unity that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the identity. A person, as Boethius says, is an individual, incommunicable substance of a rational nature. Now, this definition applies to human beings and it applies to angels. In God, the internal divine relations are substantial because they are really identical with the divine essence. So they're substantial, these relations. In us, relations are accidental, but in God they're substantial because they're identified with the divine substance. Because they are mutually opposed, incommunicability belongs to the three relations of fatherhood, sonship, and passive spiration. They're incommunicable. 
They can't be passed on to somebody else, like nature can be passed on from father to son and daughter and so forth. The person is incommunicable. You can't have a communication of the person. So then the active spiration, as we saw, is common to the father and the son. So there are only three really distinct subsistent relations in God. That's fatherhood, sonship, and passive spiration. St. Thomas Aquinas says that each divine person, then, is a subsistent, incommunicable, internal divine relation. That's in Summa Theologica, first part, question 29, article 4, for anybody who might want to look that up to see what the angelic doctor has to say about this, where he says that each divine person is a subsistent, incommunicable, internal divine relation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's as far as you can go theologically in trying to explain what are the three persons. That's what they are. By subsistent, now that we brought in a new word, we want to explain that. By subsistent is meant a reality that exists in itself, like a substance. Since the three divine personal relations are identified with the divine essence or the divine substance, they are said to be subsistent. And they are incommunicable in the sense that they're not shared by anybody else. The three persons all share in the same substance, the same nature, but they don't share in personhood or relation. They're mutually opposed in that. That's what constitutes them as three distinct relations, three distinct persons. We have been trying to answer the question here, what are the three in God that the New Testament tells us about, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are they? Or how can we talk about them, the three? The church replies that the three are persons. You say, well, what are you know, those three in Scripture? They are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are persons. Then, if one wants to go further in a theological or philosophical vein and say, what is a divine person? The answer is, that it is a subsistent relation. That's the end of the line. That's as far as you can go. You say, well, what's a subsistent relation? Then you have to get in, what do you mean by subsistence? What do you mean by relation? We explain what a relation is, a subject and a term and a reference to. It's a reference to something else. The father is referred to as son, son to father, and so forth. Obviously, it is not necessary to know the theology of the Trinity in order to be saved or to live as a devout Catholic. That's not necessary. It's not necessary to be able to explain about relations and persons and processions in order to be a saint, to be close to God. The heart of the Catholic religion is the love and the worship of the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in the liturgy. That's what we have in our prayers. Jesus said, this is eternal life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We find that in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 3. But it can be helpful for many Catholics to know that the Church possesses a highly developed rational explanation of the data of Scripture with regard to the Holy Trinity, and that the Church is not contradicting herself when she says that there are three persons in one God, because three is said in one sense of their persons, relations, the oneness is said in another sense 
of substance or nature. For in having us profess faith in the tripersonal one God, the Church is not asking us to believe in something that is contradictory or opposed to human reason. We're not asked to believe in something that is internally absurd. While the Trinity is an absolute mystery, that is, always beyond our grasp and our intellectual reach, it is not opposed to reason. It's above and beyond reason, but it's not opposed to reason. It's not contrary to reason. So this leads me then in this talk to move on to say something about the Trinity as an absolute mystery. I'd like to say something about that for the rest of this particular talk because the Holy Trinity is an absolute mystery. It's the basic mystery of the Christian faith. Now, mystery is something that's hidden. That's come mysterion, the Greek word mystery, means something that's hidden, veiled, something unknown. In this sense, there are many mysteries of nature. Science is constantly developing and uncovering more of things that are unknown about nature, especially in the biological sciences in the last 20 years or so. Since there are aspects of atoms and molecules and living beings that are not yet known, many, many things that we don't know. Science is constantly trying to unravel the so-called mysteries of nature. That's not what is meant by mystery in the theological sense, since human science by experiments and perseverance can finally unlock the secrets of nature. In other words, natural truths, like DNA, for example, are not beyond the power of human reason. How to build a rocket to go to the moon, how to send a rocket to Mars, things like that. In Catholic theology, a mystery of faith is a truth revealed by God which totally surpasses the power of the human mind. That's why it's hidden. It surpasses our power to totally grasp it. And once it has been revealed by God, we can know something about it because God has told us about it, such as the Holy Trinity, the Incarnation, God becoming man, and grace, the indwelling of God's grace in the soul of those who are justified. But we could never come to any knowledge of these things from our observation or experience. Scientists don't know anything about this. This is not something you can get in the laboratory. Father John Hardin gives the following definition of mystery in his book, 1980, Modern Catholic Dictionary, where he defines all of these terms that we've been using. He says, a mystery is a divinely revealed truth whose very possibility cannot be rationally conceived before it is revealed, and after revelation, whose inner essence cannot be fully understood by the finite mind. So there you have the notion of mystery. Its very possibility cannot be rationally conceived before it's revealed, and even after it's revealed, the inner essence cannot be fully understood by the finite mind, such as the Holy Trinity or the Incarnation, how God could become man in Jesus Christ. Mysteries, then, in this sense, are truths that concern God himself, since he is infinite and absolutely incomprehensible to the created mind. God is, by his nature, mystery. Theologians usually list three mysteries in this category, namely the Trinity, 
the Incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ, and the mystery of grace, which has to do with the relationship between God and the human free will, God's influence on our will by means of his grace. You can also add to that like the notion of the supernatural, that man has been destined by God to a supernatural end, the face-to-face -face mystery of God. These things cannot be discovered by human reason or by human philosophy because these have to do with the very nature of God and God by his very nature is mystery. So according to Catholic teaching, these truths are called absolute mysteries. We might say the mysteries of nature, of life and science and molecules and things like that, those would be natural mysteries. Here we're talking about absolute mysteries. So by an absolute mystery is meant a truth that not only surpasses the power of the human intellect in this life, but also will surpass it in the next life in heaven. So the saints in heaven don't comprehend the Blessed Trinity. The Blessed Virgin Mary, the highest creature God ever created, she does not comprehend the Holy Trinity, nor the angels. It's beyond the capacity of the power of any created intellect to totally understand. So the blessed in heaven, they don't fully understand it. For all eternity, they can learn more and more about it and never exhaust the knowability of the divine trinity. Such a consideration gives us a hint of the activity connected with the lives of the saints who see God face to face. Now the Catholic Church teaches in the First Vatican Council in 1869-1870, and I quote along the lines I was just explaining, there are two orders of knowledge, distinct not only in origin, but also in object. They are distinct in origin because in one we know by means of natural reason, in the other by means of divine faith. So in science, natural reason, and in others, faith. And they are distinct in object because in addition to what natural reason can attain, we have proposed to us as objects of belief mysteries that are hidden in God and which, unless divinely revealed, can never be known. This you find in Denzinger 1795, if you happen to have a copy of Denzinger. Now by natural reason, we can come to know, we can come to a knowledge of God as their origin and source. But the various perfections of God, which are revealed through the contemplation of created things, such as his power, his wisdom, his mercy, his justice, his perfection, his goodness, those things are common to all three persons. Therefore, natural reason can know God only in his unity of substance, but not in the trinity of persons. You can know something about the substance, the power of God, by philosophy and reflection, but not about the inner life of God, the three persons. Our knowledge of the inner life of God, the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, must come through revelation by God in history. It was revealed to us at some point in history. And that took place primarily in Jesus Christ and through the apostles about 2,000 years ago. Jesus revealed to us the absolute mysteries of the Holy Trinity, his incarnation, divine grace. In order to receive this revelation, we must be able to understand something about these mysteries. They are revealed to us through human words and human actions. We understand something about them when we accept them in faith, but we do not completely grasp them 
In theological language, we don't comprehend them because comprehend means to understand something completely. If you comprehend something, you know everything about it. So in that sense, the knowledge of the Trinity, Incarnation, and Grace can never be comprehended by any created intellect, including the saints in heaven and the angels and the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there's something we accept by faith. The truth about God always remains obscure that we hold by faith because as St. Paul says in this life, we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's always something obscure about faith that's accepted on the authority of somebody else. And finally, it's important to note that the dogma of the Trinity, as taught by the Church, is beyond reason, but not contrary to reason. This is a very important point. It's beyond reason. It transcends reason, but it's not contrary to reason. St. Thomas Aquinas says that human reason of itself cannot show the possibility of the Trinity, but it can show that it's not contradictory. And so it can refute all counter-arguments against the Holy Trinity. The Church in Vatican I in the last century, around 1870, said that even though faith is above reason, quote, yet there can never be any real disagreement between faith and reason, because it is the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith and has put the light of reason into the human soul. End of quote. That's Denzinger, 1797. So there can never be any real conflict between science and faith, for example. If you have true science, then there can be no contradiction between that and faith, because the same God is the source of the natural order, who's also the source of revealed truth through revelation that we have through Christ and the gospel. Therefore, it is reasonable to believe in the Trinity and to adore the Trinity because God has revealed it who can neither deceive nor be deceived. He's the source of all things. He knows all things. And in his wisdom and his goodness and his love for us, he's revealed these things to us about himself. So there can be no contradiction between them, which means then that these mysteries, as I said, they are beyond reason, but they're not contrary to reason. And that applies in a very special way to what we're talking about of the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.